Good morning. It's good to have you here this morning. Glad that you have uh, jumped in with us here for our first service at Calvary and uh, gives you the rest of a beautiful fall day to uh, hopefully a beautiful fall day. I don't really know what was going on out there, Um, but uh, hopefully it'll be a beautiful fall day and you can enjoy it however you are able, but we believe that being here is the best thing you can do to kick off your week because we really truly do believe that it makes a difference and I hope that you'll find that to be true even this morning as you're here with us. Um, We are wrapping up a series today called Undercover Boss. And in this series, we have been looking at the things that are inside of us that can come out of us if we don't learn to control them. In the series Undercover Boss, there's this guy, an owner, a CEO, uh, the manager, whatever he is, and he leaves the office and goes into the company, whether it's the restaurant, the store, the manufacturing, uh, he's in different places to see what's going on on the inside of his company. It's a place where the boss usually doesn't go. But he goes because he knows that what is going on on the inside eventually makes its way to the outside, and there are numerous times where he finds somebody who's doing a wonderful job, and they reward them a lot of times just really well at the end of the show, and that's kind of what I look forward to, is seeing the end of the show and how he uh, interacts with these people when he finally reveals that, hey, I'm, I'm the head guy, and, uh, and, and, and gives them, you know, shares with them uh, that he's been man, I love what you're doing, but sometimes he has to share with somebody, sometimes on the spot, hey, you're messing up. You are not fulfilling the mission statement of this company, and we got to deal with that. And what we're finding out is that a lot of times what is on the inside of us, and often what is on the inside of us is emotion, and if we don't deal with it, and if we don't learn to control it, it will control us. And even though we're all kind of control freaky people who really think that we are in control of our lives and prefer it that way, if we're honest with ourselves, there are times when our emotions gain control of who we are. They gain control of what we do. They actually become us. And we're not in control at all. But there is a boss. If you're a follower of Jesus, there is someone who is endeavoring to control your life from the inside out. You see, when, when we allow somehow God and when, when we allow tradition and ritual to control our lives from the outside in, that's religion. But when we allow God to control our lives from the inside out, that's relationship. And that's what he desires. That's what he longs for. Now, as we wrap up today, I, I, I want to I cover something, and, and maybe for some of you, Man, this, this isn't where you're at. But maybe some of you would be honest enough to say, I'm past that. I, I, I know that there is a part of me that has gained control of me, and I don't like it. It's anger. It's envy. It's 
guilt, it's bitterness, it's unforgiveness. Maybe for some of you, we talked a few weeks ago about dealing with disappointment and the importance of dealing with that because oftentimes our lives can spiral out of control and disappointment is going to lead us somewhere. For those that are very successful, you will find that oftentimes disappointment has led them to the next level, led them to the next step, led them to pursue excellence. But sometimes disappointment can cause us to begin to spiral downward. And and disappointment leads to discouragement. And, And discouragement can sometimes lead to dejection. Dejection leads to despair, and despair leads to demoralization. And when you get to those last two deadly Ds, you're looking basically at some form of depression. And the truth is, no matter what it is, bitterness, anger, guilt, failure, bad choices, it can lead us in that direction. So you'd say, Billy, what do I do if I'm already past that? What do I do if I realize there is something on the inside of me that has control over me and it's not what God has for me? Is there any hope? Can I give you one answer? One word answer. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. A thousand times. Yes. There is hope. And there's a verse in the Old Testament that promises there's hope. Psalm 34 verse 18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Have you ever had a a crushed spirit? I, 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 I don't mean, you know, back in sixth grade when... You wrote a note to that little girl and said, do you like me? Yes, no, maybe. And she circled no like a hundred times and sent it back through her best friend to your best friend to you. Oh, despair. No, 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 no. I'm talking about, well, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Because for each of you, it's something different. But there is something that has been a crushing blow. There's been, there, there's been something that has crushed our spirit. Whether it's, again, a, maybe a bad decision, and we had a choice and we made the wrong one. Whether it's a relationship that's gone bad. Whether it's a child that you are concerned about. Whether it's the loss of a loved one. Whether it's the loss of a job. The loss of income. There's been something that has, uh, I know something the psalmist says, God is with you. He's with those who have been crushed in spirit. What, What is spirit? Spirit is the essence of who you are. It's the soul part of you. So what do we do with that? And, and if God is with us, how do we make sure that that rises to the, 
surface? How do we make sure that it makes a difference in those moments? Especially if we've kind of moved past disappointment and we find ourselves moving in the direction of discouragement or dejection or even despair and demoralization. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17 and 18, Paul is writing to that church in Ephesus that he started. They've had some incredible pastors at this church. And Paul writes to them a very practical book, a letter, as, as he endeavors to encourage this church in the work that they are doing. This is a church that would be mentioned in the book of Revelation before Jesus gets to the point where he's sharing with John what's going to happen in the future. He says, I need you to write some things to the churches that are in existence right now. And he writes to the church of Ephesus. Well, Paul has written to them. And Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't act thoughtlessly. Sometimes we can move down in that spiral and all of a sudden we're just not acting like ourselves, right? That's just not me. We say something, we do something, and it's like, that's, where did that come from? Well, we know, as Jesus said, it actually came from the inside. It came from your heart. But how do we change that? Paul says, check yourself. Then he takes it a step further. He says, don't be drunk with wine, because that'll ruin your life. Don't be drunk with wine. And, and rather than just looking at that from the standpoint of don't get drunk, I think maybe what Paul was saying is you're endeavoring to substitute something to remove you from the difficulties of life for a while. I just need to get away from it all. And so if I just have a few too many, then at least for a little while... I won't remember who I am, what I am, what's going on, what's happened, the decisions I've made. Paul says, don't use that foolish substitute. Think about what you're doing. Because that, he says, it can ruin your life. And you know of examples where that happens. But you can even substitute other things, can't you, for don't get drunk with wine. There are other things that we sub in in our kind of addictive culture just trying to escape. You say, well, well Billy, is, is there anything wrong with taking some time and just trying to get... A no, 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 no. But Paul's saying, look, don't choose something that could actually add more difficulty to your life. Instead, he says, I've got another option for you. He says, do this, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't get hooked, don't get addicted to temporary solutions because they're only temporary and usually you will wake up the next day with more difficulty on your plate. Instead, he says, try this, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, we don't talk a ton 
about the Holy Spirit. And, you know, there's, I'm, there's a few reasons for that. Uh, one, when I was a kid, when I was growing up at Calvary, my grandfather always referred to the Holy Spirit as the Holy Ghost. Well, I was afraid of ghosts. The only ghost I knew that was any good was Casper, the friendly ghost. But the Holy Ghost, oh man, what is that? And we, we kind of grow up in a, in a sense of, of fear maybe about the Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit. The other thing is we see sometimes things depicted that are in the Spirit, and especially those that are kind of, well, that lean in a Baptistic way. We're like, hmm, we don't want anything to do with that, so we back way off. And so therefore, well, let, let's not even, you know, we got God the Father, God the Son, we're good. No, 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 no. You need God the Spirit. Because here's the deal. Jesus said before he left, what, to his disciples? I'm going to send you my spirit. I cannot be with you all the time, but I can send my spirit, and he can go with all of you wherever you go. And the awesome thing about the spirit of God is that if you are a follower of Jesus, what has Jesus sent in your direction? His Holy Spirit. And so Paul says, look, don't be afraid of the Spirit. Don't get weird and wild ideas about the Spirit. Fill up with the Spirit of God. What is that? Well, I want you to, if you've got a Bible, turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And in the remaining time, we're going to talk about what it means to be filled with the Spirit of God. Because Paul makes it sound like it's just so simple and so easy. Don't, don't get drunk. That's silly. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. But he talks a little bit more in depth about that in Romans chapter 8. So I want you to notice with me, we're going to start reading in verse 1. It's a little bit lengthy, so if you've got your Bible, follow along. And if not, it'll be on the screen in front of you, and, and you can read along with us. So now... There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Well, let's just stop right there and say amen. There is no condemnation. Now, there's a lot of condemnation for people who claim to follow Jesus. We're very good at condemning. But Jesus said over and over, whether it was an, a, a woman who was caught in the act of adultery, whether it was a Pharisee who's scared to come by day because of what his Pharisee friends will say, so he comes by night. What does Jesus say? I have not come to condemn the world. I've come to save the world. What did Jesus know that you and I have a hard time with? We, we somehow get it in our heads that if we condemn enough, people will realize how right we are. If we just condemn enough. And yet when we look at the story of Jesus, he says, I'm not going to condemn you. But if you'll give me the chance, I can change you from the inside out. 
Paul says there is no condemnation to those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit, capitalized, has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Jesus became the sacrifice for all of the wrong things, all of the wrong choices, all of the wrong decisions that you and I have made. We don't have to make a sacrifice to that end. Jesus already made that sacrifice by giving his life on the cross. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. If we don't get control over our emotions, what happens? Our emotions control us. But Paul says there's a better way. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God Himself wants control of your life and mine. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And then he says, and just to clarify, remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to God at all. So even though we might have the, the nerves talking about the Holy Spirit, and oh, I, I, I want to keep an arm's length from all of that kind of discussion and acting that way, and I've seen some... No, Paul says, here's the deal. No spirit, no Jesus. You are not a follower of Christ. If you are, you have the spirit of the living God inside of you. Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. Now all of a sudden he's gone from talking about this life to a life that is to come. And for those who have put their faith in Christ Jesus, it's just like Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I'll come again to take you where I am. In my Father's house are 
many mansions. If it weren't so, I wouldn't tell you about it. But I want you to go where I am going. And Thomas, of course, in that passage in the Gospel of John says, well, Jesus, how can we know where you're going? We don't know the way. And Jesus says, oh, but you do. Here I is. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man gets to the Father except through me. But when we invite Christ to come into our heart, to forgive our past, to forgive our sin, what does he do? He sends the Holy Spirit. And it's that Spirit, it's the seal of the Spirit of God that says when you have breathed your last on this earth, you've got a reservation in heaven. It's not because of anything that we've done. Well, I went to church this many times, and I read this much, and I helped these many old ladies across the street. Nope. Because if it was about all the good things you've done, how, what's the number? How many do we have to get to? What if you don't make it? What if you miss it by three? Aren't you going to be really disappointed? And so therefore, Paul says, you can never sacrifice enough to get into God's heaven. That's why he sent his son. Jesus sacrificed for you. So all you have to do is accept his gift of salvation and his spirit comes to live in you. And then it says in verse 11, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. I'm going to try that one more time. And if you've been saved for, I don't know, let's say six months or more, I'm going to give you a chance to respond. Hang on just a second. Let me read it to you one more time. See if there's a bit of understanding. The Spirit of God. I can try it again if I can lower my voice. The Spirit of God. Does that help? The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead. What kind of spirit is that? That's pretty powerful. Lives in you. Isn't that awesome? And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give you life to your mortal bodies by this same spirit living in you. So that all who have had someone they love who has passed from this life to the next, they are living their best life. And we get the opportunity to join them again. Why? Because of what Christ did for us and the fact that His Holy Spirit lives in us. That Spirit, the Spirit of God, and that's the spirit that Paul says, you, you need to fill up with that spirit. Let that spirit control you. Control your life. Control what you say. Control what you do. Let that spirit fill you from the inside out. So what what does it do? Well, well, it gives us a completely different attitude and perspective. 
You see, the Spirit of God gives us a fresh attitude. Notice what it says in in, uh, verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh think about the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit about the things of the Spirit. So I got got to ask you, is is, is the Spirit of God angry? Is the Spirit of God constantly complaining? Is the Spirit of God constantly pessimistic? The glass is always half empty, or the glass is three-quarters empty, or let's be honest, for some of you, the glass is about seven-eighths empty. There's maybe a little bit of water. Is that the Spirit of God controlling you? Is that the Spirit of God changing your perspective, changing your attitude? Would the Spirit of God have a negative attitude? Would the Spirit of God have a negative attitude towards people? Or would the Spirit of God look at people with love and compassion? Would the Spirit of God want to make a difference? Or would the Spirit of God say, everybody's on their own? The Spirit of God changes our perspective. And it gives us a fresh attitude. And it can help us when we are dealing with some of these emotions that we have talked about in the past few weeks. It starts by asking yourself some questions. So let me just give you a few of those that you might ask. And it's possible that from this you might come up with some other questions that you have to ask yourself. But let me me present just a few of them to you and see if we can come up with some answers specifically from Scripture because that is what stands the test of time. That's what lasts, okay? So here's the first question. What drains you emotionally? And what can you do to fill that? What drains you emotionally and what can you do to fill that? Notice we're not saying, what can you do to get rid of that? No, because to be honest, sometimes the things that drain you are things that you don't have some control over or things, it's a season of life, okay? I mean, let's be honest. If you have three kids under the age of three, it might be a little draining, Oh, they're awesome. They're incredible. But it might drain you a little bit. You might have a job. And the boss that they have put in to the place you hired in, and that wasn't the boss, he wasn't the boss, she wasn't the boss, but now they are. And that person kind of drains you. But that's your gig. That's your job. And you've got to take care of the family. And you've got to take care of your responsibilities. And so off to work you go. It drains you. Sometimes there are responsibilities that we have in the home that drain you. For those of you that have been a caregiver, it's awesome. You do it out of love, but it can be draining, right? So it's not a question of, well, how do we get rid of that? You know, you might even say, well, my husband, a little draining. My spouse right now, draining. Well, okay, just get rid of them. No, That's not the Spirit of God. What do you do to fill that? Because if something is drained, that means it's taken out of you, right? So what do we do to fill that? 
And too often, it's, it's, I think that in our day and age, in our culture, we have the tendency to look at it and say, how can I get rid of that? If you're a student, you have a teacher. You got that teacher for the semester, and you're like, two weeks in, oh, man, I don't know. Well, I'll just withdraw from that class. No, you're going to have to take it again. So if it's draining, what do we do to fill that? And Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 says this, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. What's Paul saying? Look at the bright side. Look at the good side. Remember, there are always people who are in a worse circumstance or situation than you. They have worse circumstances in their life. What is the bright side? What are some things you could take from this? What are some things you can learn from this? And what is it that fills you? If you were to read that section in Ephesians chapter 5, that it says, be filled with the Spirit, Paul actually goes on to say, with songs and hymns and spiritual songs. I think that was Paul's way of filling up with the Spirit. I think Paul liked music. There's another story in Acts where Paul was on one of his first missionary journeys. He was thrown in prison with a guy by the name of Silas because they were preaching about Jesus. And at midnight, the story says, they were both singing. They were both having a worship time down in the cell. Now, I got to think, some people were like, could you please shut up? It's time to sleep. But they sang. And then an earthquake came and rattled the prison, and they continued to sing. I think that Paul found that his essence of filling up was music. That might be yours. For others of you, it might be messages from speakers. It might be reading. It might be reading good Christian material, material that's going to build you up. It might be being with friends. It might be getting alone for a few minutes. You got you to have some space. For everybody, it's a little different, but you've got to find what it is. There are some practical things. You're getting drained. That's going to happen. It's a season that you're in. What do you use to fill back up? And the problem, again, going back to what Paul said, don't get drunk with wine. Because that's a lot of times what people will use. And again, I'm not, I'm not trying to use just alcohol. Substitute that with all kinds of other things. Paul says, look, you've you got to fill up more with the Spirit of God. Here's the second question. Where is the clutter in your life? And what can you do to remove some of it? Where is the clutter in your life, and what can you do to remove some of it? We've, we've got some clutter, okay? And sometimes the clutter is up here. Remember the verse in Hebrews, we've, we've mentioned it so often, Hebrews chapter 12, where it's talking to us about running the race, and it says, lay aside the weight, but then he says, especially the sin. So evidently, there can be some things that we're supposed to set aside that aren't necessarily sin. 
especially the sin, the author of Hebrews says, but also set aside the things that are slowing you down and running your race. There's some clutter. What is the clutter? Okay? For some of you, if, if, you've got, uh, uh, if you've got an iPhone, and maybe this is true on an Android device too, I don't know, but if you've got an iPhone, for some reason, they have taken it upon themselves every week to share with me my average screen time during a day. I don't know who decided to make them the boss of my screen time, but they're letting me know this is how much screen time you've had. This is how much screen time has averaged per day. There might be some clutter. Okay? Social media. It's such an awesome thing. It's such a great way to stay connected. I mean, it's just, you know, I told you a few weeks ago that sometimes I find out things on Instagram about my oldest daughter that she has yet to tell her parents. It's like, oh, okay. Found that out there. Love social media. Can I tell you something else, just to be honest? Hate social media. Because, man, you can get all kinds of clutter, right? And a lot of times the comparison game is what we play when we're looking at other people, people we know, and there can be some clutter there. Where's the clutter? TV. Awesome. But, you know, when I was a little kid, there were people that were addicted to TV, and there were only like four channels. That's that, but that's what they were addicted to. Now, you got 7,000 channels, you know, if, especially if you have every streaming service. You have everything. And, and have you ever gone through all of the channels and looked at everything and said, oh, there's just nothing to watch. <laughs> nothing to watch on TV. Again, great, awesome, love it. But it can be some clutter, can't it? Where's the clutter? And is there a way for you to remove some of it? 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 says, The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, we have divine power. Where does that power come from? The Spirit of God. We have divine power to demolish those strongholds, strongholds that have been built up. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. If there's some clutter in your life, sometimes you can look at it as a, a wall that has been built up in your life, and the wall has been built up one thought at a time, one brick at a time. And while it'd be awesome for God to come in with his, you know, big bulldozer and just kind of smash it all down. And can he do that? Yes. Does he do that once in a while? Sure. Does he do it a lot? No. Paul says one thought at a time. That's, that's how you remove those strongholds. That's how you take them down. And just as you built them up, you built them up one negative thought at a time. Now you've got to take them down. You've got to take them down. Why? Because the Spirit wants to give us a fresh attitude. A fresh attitude. Those living according to the flesh, think about things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, about the things of the Spirit. 
Here's another question. Where are the challenges in your life? Where are the challenges in your life? And what do you lean into to relieve those? Everybody has challenges. And sometimes they're major challenges, okay? Major life changes, environment, unpredictable events. Been there, done that in the past few months, haven't we? Workplace, social, okay? You, 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 you even in your marriage sometimes, you got somebody who's um, very social and then somebody who's like, I'm really better off the fewer people I see. Uh, you've, you've got those stressors that even come in our marriages, traumatic events. These are the stressors that come our direction. Here's the deal. Are you leaning towards the stress or are you leaning towards the Savior? What did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 11? Come to me, all of you who are going through stress. Now, that's not what he said, but that's what he would say today. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Those of you that are stressed out, come to me. And one of the things that I've noticed, and I noticed this long before I ever became a pastor, one of the great frustrations of life is that during my life as church. So I'll just kind of back off from that for a while. And instead of leading into the opportunity to hear from God, we lean away from the opportunity to hear from God. We've got to lean into Him. He says, come to me. There's going to be stress. There are going to be challenges. But He says, if you'll come to me, I will help you relieve those burdens. And then, can I give you one more? And then we're gonna, we'll, we'll wrap it up with just three things here real quick that the Spirit gives to us. And, and this one, you, you, just, you, you could take this for what it's worth. Do you want to be right or do you want a relationship? Sometimes you got to ask yourself that question. Do you want to be right or do you want a relationship? Sometimes we have to let God be God in other people's lives. Doesn't mean that we can't speak the truth in love, but the problem is we, we really struggle with that. We're heavy duty speaking the truth. Not a lot of times in love. Do you want to be right or do you want to relationship. And, and no, guys, I'm not just talking about your wife, okay? <laughs> happy wife, happy life, right? You've heard that. No, it goes, it goes beyond that. I think, I think, I could be wrong. Maybe, maybe somebody can even show me scripturally that I'm, I'm off base, but I think that Jesus wants us to be in relationship with people. 
I think that when he said love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love other people as you love yourself, I think the idea was that if you show love to other people, that will lead them to the love of a Savior. Because if we're the only Jesus that people see, the only Bible that people read, the only church that people attend, we've got a chance to make a difference. But are we taking advantage of that? So, so this Spirit of God, we found out, lives inside of us if we have followed Jesus. What does, what does he prompt us to do? Well, if we're filled with the Spirit, then we're filled with love. Romans chapter 5, verse 5 says, Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So you, you, you can say... You can say right up until the gates of heaven when you stand before God, I'm just not a loving person. Then there's never been a moment when you've responded to the invitation from Jesus to accept him as your Lord and Savior. He has not made a change in your life. He's not a fire escape out of hell. He came to transform our lives. And we cannot say, I'm, I'm just, that's just not my personality. I'm just not a loving person. It's not you. Paul says God's love has been poured into you so you have enough love to love others because it ain't your love. It's not my love. It's his love poured through us. We are filled. When we're filled with the Spirit, we're filled with love. We're filled with joy. Romans 14, 17 says, For God's kingdom is not a matter of eating and drinking, but the righteousness, peace, and joy which the Holy Spirit gives. Wow. What's going on? Where is that joy? It is, it is sometimes, listen, listen. You are a follower of Jesus. You do have the Spirit of God in your life, but sometimes that joy is buried under a mountain of fear. Sometimes that joy is buried under an avalanche of anxiety and worry. Sometimes, sometimes that joy is, that joy is stifled by a pursuit of temporary happiness. And, and, and we actually, we forego the joy of Jesus moments of comfort or happiness. And, and Paul says, look, the Spirit of God has come to bring you joy. Joy which actually lasts a lifetime. Joy which actually allows you to go through the difficulties and the disappointments. Why? Because there is something on the inside of you that's making the difference. And then finally, we're not just filled with love, filled with joy, we're filled with peace. That verse just said it. God's kingdom is not a matter of eating and drinking, not a matter of the temporary, but the righteousness, peace, and joy, which the Holy Spirit gives. What happens when you accept Christ as your Savior? God gives you his Holy Spirit. 
And then his Holy Spirit brings into your life God's love, Jesus' joy, and a peace that passes understanding. Philippians 4, 7, Paul says, you will experience God's peace which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. It's like a soldier standing guard over your heart and over your mind. But when does it happen? When we allow ourselves to be filled with the Spirit of God. Romans 14, 19 says, Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace. Grade yourself. How are you? Do what leads to peace. Now listen, being at peace and being peaceable, it, it doesn't mean you have to get pushed around, okay? You can have differences and still have peace. You can have differences of opinion and still be a person of peace. You can have passion and still be a person of peace. And what happens? Well, when you get enough believers pursuing that, it makes a difference. Acts chapter 9, verse 31 says, The church throughout Judea, Galilee, 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 Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the, wait for it, Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. It is time for the church, big C, but little C too. It is time for our church, it is time for the church to increase in numbers. It is time for us to bring in people who need to know that they are loved by God with an unconditional, everlasting love. Time for us to allow people to hear the message that Jesus loves them so much, he gave his life. And if they'll put their faith and trust in him, he will forgive their past. He will reserve a place in heaven for them. And he will send his spirit to live in them and make a difference in life right now. Jesus said, I don't want you to live an ordinary, boring life. I want you to have life and life to the full, life more abundant. How does it happen? When we let the Spirit come to the surface and stop having it be stifled down by the fear and the worry and the anger and the unforgiveness, and the bitterness, and the envy. And all of a sudden, it's so far down there. The power that we need is there. And, and listen, what did we say right at the beginning of this series? And this is how we close. Jesus said, what is in you, that's going to be what comes out. What you plant is what's going to grow. What you nurture, what you take care of. Did you ever plant tomatoes and you went out a few weeks later and there was corn? No. I mean, if you did, I hope you took pictures and documented it. 
No, that doesn't happen. We plant tomato seeds, and in a few weeks, a few months, tomatoes come forth. You want to know what Paul said in Galatians chapter 5? Here's, here's what the Holy Spirit produces. It's this kind of fruit. And you know what he starts with? Love, joy, peace. Now there's more. There's patience, there's kindness, there's goodness, there's faithfulness, there's gentleness, there's self-control. He says there's no law against these things, but can I tell you something? I, I think that everything else comes along in progression once we get down love and joy and peace. Everything follows. He's, that's what the Holy Spirit produces. And if we are not producing that in our lives, if that's not what is coming out of us, then we're planting the wrong stuff. It's time to change the seeds that we're planting and allow the Spirit of God to come to the surface. Jesus said in John chapter 16, I have said these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. You will have tribulation. You will have difficulty. But then he says this, take heart. I've overcome the world. Listen, there's a lot of power in that peace. There's a lot of power in that peace. I'm having trouble right now with my kids. I'm having trouble with my husband. I'm having trouble with my wife. I'm having trouble with my parents. I'm having trouble with this relationship at work. I'm having trouble with what's going on in the world. I just, every day I get up and it's something else and it seems to be getting worse and worse. And Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome all the trouble. I've overcome all the tribulation, and I'm sending my spirit, my spirit of power to live in you. Nurture that. Let that seed grow in your life and produce that kind of fruit. You got to seize that power. Paul says in Romans 5, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, and that's where it starts. And maybe you're here today, and there's never been that moment when you have said yes to Christ. There is no peace in your heart. There is no peace in your life, and it's because there hasn't been that moment for you when you have personally accepted God's gift of salvation. You can do that right now. You can do that today before you leave. It is a free gift God says, I took the big step, I sent my son, and I sent him to the Calvary's cross, and on his body, I put all of your sin and all of your guilt so that you don't have to walk in that any longer. You just need to accept his gift of salvation. And he says, when, when that happens, my spirit will come to live in you. Bow your heads together with me in prayer. Maybe it's possible that you're here today and there's never been that moment when you have made that commitment, that decision to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. If that's what you want to do today, I want to lead you in a prayer. There is nothing miraculous about the prayer. You can pray your own prayer, but maybe you'd say, Billy, it's been a while. And so with that in mind, I... 
I simply lead you today because Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. That's when he comes in. That's when he forgives. That's when he sends his spirit. If you want that today, then I simply want you to pray this prayer in your heart after me. Just say, Lord Jesus, I do believe you love me. I believe you came and died and rose again for me. Today, I accept your gift of salvation. Come into my heart, forgive my sin, and save me. And with our heads still bowed in prayer, if you prayed that prayer this morning, would you just quietly, quickly just slip up your hand and put it down? That's, that's me to prayed that prayer. Yeah, God bless you. Yeah, God bless you. Just slip it up and put it down. That's me today, Bill. I prayed that prayer, and I invited Christ to come into my life. God bless you today. Father, we thank you today for those who prayed that prayer, have decided, Lord, to make you the Lord of their life. They've accepted that gift of salvation. Lord, I pray that you do something in their lives in a very tangible way in the next few days to help them realize the importance of the decision they just made. There is no greater decision. And Lord, for those who still might be trying to figure it all out, I pray that your spirit would continue to speak to them. Lord, your desire is to live in us and live through us. Lord, there are people here who have known you a long time. But sometimes if we're not careful, we can allow the difficulties of life to just kind of <laughs> cover over your spirit, the work that you want to do in us, the power that you want to use through us. Lord, I pray that you'd help us however long it takes to begin to remove that clutter, remove those bricks Remove those fortresses and allow your spirit, first of all, to give us a fresh sense of new life in you. But then also, Lord, that you would use your spirit to make a difference in others. Thank you for meeting with us here today. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. amen.